This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 81 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. I've been talking a lot about career test runs and how to map out your dream career if you are a pediatric clinician, but today I wanted to take a little shift and go back to a topic that I've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is executive functioning and language and how those two things fit in together. And what I wanted to talk about today is what everyone's role is in supporting kids' executive functioning skills. This is actually a huge piece of what I cover in the School of Clinical Leadership. The School of Clinical Leadership is a program that's designed to help pediatric clinicians map out their dream career and to move on to that next stage in their career journey. And really, it's focused on helping them be better leaders. And so one of the things that they need to be able to understand is how to evaluate research and understanding evidence-based practices. And while the focus of the program is more on leadership and career development than it is specific therapy techniques, we do need to take specific interventions into account. 
And we need to consider certain areas that are cross-disciplinary. So things that everybody supporting kids need to understand. And there are certain areas where pretty much anyone who comes into contact with that child needs to understand it and embed it into whatever they are doing. And one of those areas is executive functioning, because this is something that you can work on directly in a therapy setting, but it is also something that is kind of embedded into everything that a child does. And so therefore, it is embedded into what everyone does who is supporting that child. And I'll give some specific examples in a few minutes, but I wanted to dive into this topic today. And I know that I've given some more specific tactical strategies about supporting executive functioning in the past, but today I'm going to talk big picture about what everyone's role is in the process so that no matter where you are coming from, whether you are a clinician, whether you are a parent, whether you're a teacher, so that you know how you can provide the right support to help kids be independent and successful. So before I get going, I am going to be mentioning two of my programs for clinicians as I am having this discussion today. One of them is the School of Clinical Leadership. The School of Clinical Leadership is a program for pediatric clinicians supporting K-12 kids that want to find their own path for career growth that feels aligned, inspiring, empowered, and completely true to their own. When you know you're a leader, you need to be among your kind, which would be those who believe in the possibility of positive change, who know that change can only come from the inside out. And that true leadership starts with you. You may not know exactly where you want to go yet, but you definitely know it's forward. So join us in the School of Clinical Leadership today to map out the next stage of your dream career. To learn more about how to become a member, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. Now, the School of Clinical Leadership is for pediatric clinicians across disciplines because I really believe that if we want to make a change in the field, then we need to work together as a team with other professions. So the School of Clinical Leadership is open to speech pathologists, OTs, PTs, psychologists, school social workers, really anybody who is a specialized service provider for kids. Now, before we get going in the episode, I did want to mention Language Therapy Advanced Foundations as well. This is my other signature program that was specifically designed to give SLPs a protocol and a systematic framework for language therapy. Language and literacy is one of those areas that can be really confusing to know how to address and that's why it's important to have a trusted system that you know works and that you know moves your students forward so that you don't have to spend a ton of time planning. So if you are an SLP or other service provider who is supporting language and literacy and you want to learn a framework that helps to build the language skills that kids need in order to support strong reading and writing so that they can be successful in school and in life, then definitely check out our Language Therapy Advanced Foundations enrollment page. This is a great complement to the School of Clinical Leadership because the School of Clinical Leadership is focused on career development and leadership, obviously, and Language Therapy Advanced Foundations gives you some very specific tactical therapy techniques that you can apply to your practice right away if you are someone who is supporting language and literacy. 
So to check out the Language Therapy Advanced Foundations enrollment page, just go to drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. So now let's get into the episode where we are going to discuss what your role is in supporting executive functioning. So the question of the day, whose job is it to teach executive functioning and to support these skills in kids? The quick and dirty answer is that it's everybody's responsibility. But obviously, depending on who you are and what your relationship is to that child, it's going to vary. Everyone who is supporting kids has their own specific discipline and area of clinical focus or educational focus or caretaking focus if you're the parent. And the thing is, is that everybody has their specific skills and their things that they do to support that child. But executive functioning, because it is so broad, it's like this huge umbrella that fits over everything that everyone does. So really what everyone needs to do is understand their discipline. If we're thinking about clinical areas, we all want to understand what our role is within our area of expertise, our specialization, our role But what we need to do is be able to understand executive functioning as a whole, and then we need to be able to embed it into what we're doing. So there might be some general strategies that everyone uses across disciplines and some things that can be applied by everyone, especially with different functional tasks. But really, we also need to know within whatever strategy we're working on with kids or with whatever skill we're working on, how to embed those types of skills within what we're doing. So I'm going to give some specific examples of how this can be applied to the home setting as well as how this can be applied to language and literacy, because language and literacy is my area of expertise. Those are just examples. I can probably give you a couple of other examples of how other disciplines might do this, but really what I'm giving you today is the big picture. Because once you start to understand how this works, you'll be able to take that and apply it to whatever you're doing. But it's really important that everyone is working as a team here. And the other thing that is really important is depending on who you are, depending on what your role is, you might have kind of hybrid responsibilities. If you are someone who is providing specialized services for kids, if you're a clinician, we need to think bigger about what our role is. A lot of times we learn to provide therapy in a direct pull-out type of situation. So we are pulling a client or group of clients out of their whatever setting they're in. So if it's an outpatient setting, they're coming from home and they're coming to your office and you're providing therapy. Or if you're in a school, you are going to get kids from their classroom and you are providing therapy in a separate setting. And that is definitely a model that works for a lot of skills. But when we're thinking about executive functioning, there are certain skills that you can do within a pullout setting to kind of prime kids to use strategies, but really the bulk of the therapy and the real work actually has to happen in a functional setting in a specific context where they're actually having to apply those executive functioning skills. And so there can be a variety of ways that kids can do this. 
Obviously, if you are in a pullout setting, you might have a specific skill that you're working on with kids and you might be reminding them to use their strategies within that small group setting. Or what you might need to do is not just provide the strategies within the therapy setting, but also take on some other service delivery models. So thinking about things like providing training for staff, doing consultation with other service providers so that if you are the person who's kind of the lead in the executive functioning initiative on that child's team, that you are making sure that everyone has an understanding of what they can be doing to support those skills and you are providing the information and the training so that other people know how to do that. Now, as a speech pathologist, this is definitely an area where we focus and we can definitely take the lead as the person who is leading the executive functioning initiative for kids and can be the ones that are providing the support in the classroom. But we are certainly not the only ones that can do it. I have been in situations where a special ed teacher is providing a lot of these strategies and implementing them in the classroom and training the teachers. I know that social workers can do this as well, school psychologists. And I've even had a lot of questions from occupational therapists about what they can do to support executive functioning. So really, this is something that where we we all need to take some responsibility. I obviously think, you know, I'm I'm a speech pathologist. I'm well aware of what our area of expertise is. And because executive functioning and language go together, I obviously think that speech pathologists provide a lot of value when it comes to this. But I certainly, honestly, um, I don't really care who's providing the support. I just want it to get done. And a lot of these skills are things that can be done by multiple people if they have the right training and support. So it's a team effort. Everybody plays their own role. And what we need to often do is when we are thinking about who's doing what, we do need to think about the context of the situation. And this is not just for executive functioning, but with service delivery as a whole. Many times when a child needs support, when we're deciding who's doing what, what's my role? You know, I'm the I'm the occupational therapist. What should I be doing? I'm the special ed teacher. What should I be doing? A lot of times we need to think about the context and what resources are available to the child and what professionals are available, what they are qualified to do, and then we divide and conquer from there. And often that dictates how you spend your therapy time and what activities you are involved in when it comes to supporting that child. We need to think big picture about the service delivery plan, not just what am I doing in therapy. This needs to be a nice, cohesive system where everybody is working together. That being said, I do think there are some general rules and some guidelines that we can follow as it applies to executive functioning and who can do what. So know that these things that I'm going to go through today are a starting point that you can use to start figuring out how this works for your team. And as I said before, I obviously think that speech pathologists can take the lead on this. I also think that social workers or school psychologists or special ed teachers, general education teachers Really, anybody who has the right background and knowledge of these skills can be the ones that are providing support for the whole team who's supporting that child or a group of kids. Um, I just, I just want to make sure that kids get the support that they need. So if you are a person who is in a facility and you notice that 
this is not something that is really supported in your team, you can certainly be the one to take initiative and really start this process and get your team thinking about these skills. So now let me go through some of these roles and some of these specific people who are going to be involved in supporting K-12 kids. So this is not specific to people who are working in the school systems, because really anybody, even if you're a therapist who's working in some kind of an outpatient facility or a private practice, you're obviously thinking about school and how kids are doing in that setting if you're supporting kids. So I wanted to start off by talking about general education teachers and what they can be doing to support executive functioning. Now, I will say that general education teachers have a lot of responsibilities that are essentially dumped on them. And I think that we need to be reasonable when we think about what we expect from them. Um, But I do know, you know, I've worked with a ton of teachers and they all just So many of them just go above and beyond when it comes to supporting their kids. So this is definitely something that they need to know about so that they can embed it in. But it is really, really important that when they do all of these things that I'm going to mention, they need support from the team. That is so essential. And that is a point that I really want to drive home here is that they cannot do all of this stuff alone. They need support from the other team members. And so that's why, as I said before, it is a team effort. So the classroom setting generally has scaffolding and structure already, which is very beneficial for students who need executive functioning support. However, a lot of times kids who have certain diagnoses need some additional support beyond what other students need. Teachers can become familiar with how to use the right language to model cues and strategies that are going to help kids think through things and use the right self-talk that are going to, um, things that are going to help them build their executive functioning and problem-solving skills. So that's something that teachers can be aware of so that they can embed that in as they're supporting kids through doing their routines in class. So it's really important that teachers be communicating what's expected in the classroom, both verbally and visually. So having expectations posted where students can see them, having a clear understanding of what the expectations are as far as what kids need to do, and just having that be clear. This is something that teachers are doing anyways, but these are all things that support executive functioning. And some kids might need a little bit more and some support above and beyond when it comes to verbal or visual cues if they do struggle with executive functioning. So a lot of times teachers are going to be responsible for providing educational accommodations. It's important to note here that many general education teachers just kind of figure out how to accommodate kids just because they have a lot of experience and they know how to help kids and they know how to differentiate. But there are many times that kids actually need accommodations. They're on their IEPs. And so general education teachers do need to provide some of those things in the classroom. It's also important to note here that General education teachers are responsible for all the students, so this is a shared responsibility. They do need support from the special ed staff in implementing these accommodations. So, for example, sometimes a special ed teacher or a school service personnel or a therapist might come in and kind of set things up for them, and the teacher might just have to make sure that it's still happening, or the special ed teacher, for example, might provide some kind of a schedule for a student and train them to use it, and then come into the classroom and make sure that they're, they know how to use that strategy. And then the teacher is on board and kind of knows what's going on. And and it's a team effort. 
So there's not really rigid guidelines as far as who does what, but this is something where we really do need to work together as a team. But as I said, a lot of times, just the general classroom setting does have a lot of scaffolding built in as far as just clear communication about what expectations are, what needs to be done. There's a lot of visuals that communicate steps to different processes. And a lot of times teachers are already modeling, think about what we need to do next, you know, and and just can draw kids' attention to different visual cues in their environment to help them kind of think about things and plan things. And so a lot of times this support is already worked in. A lot of times teachers will be showing kids strategies for managing their work. And so all of these things are going to support executive functioning. I think the thing that we really need to be aware of is that many times some of the strategies that are done today, because we're getting to a lot of strategies that are electronic, a lot of times those are very abstract and they're not visual enough for students who need support with executive functioning. So many times we need to kind of be almost old school about some of these strategies and go back to paper planners and, and, you know, use, use things that are a little bit more concrete and tangible and visual rather than only using some of these electronic organizers that don't necessarily create a visual of what's happening, you know, thinking about calendars and planners. And, and as I said before, a lot of times there are supports in place that work fine for most of the kids, but there might be some kids who need some additional support and strategies and tools above and beyond what's going on in the classroom. And general education teachers are part of the process, but they also need some assistance and other team members to help get those things in place for kids and figure out what needs to be done. Next, we have special ed teachers. So I wanted to separate special ed teachers from other support staff because their role can vary substantially depending on what type of position they have, what type of classroom they have. We've got the resource teachers. We have itinerant staff. We also have teachers who have an instructional setting where they have their own class that they have all day. So this role can vary somewhat. What I'm going to focus on First is the resource teacher who is providing services, either they're co-teaching or they're providing some support. So students might be in the classroom for part of the day, and then they might have some of their classes with a special ed teacher. I wanted to talk about that because that is one situation where a lot of times a special ed teacher can really provide a lot of value when it comes to executive functioning. So sometimes special ed teachers can look very similar to general education teachers in that they might actually be teaching within a general education classroom if there's a co-teaching situation. Many times their role might actually look very similar to the general education teachers. However, they might be more hands-on with providing accommodations and additional scaffolding for students who need it, as well as providing specialized services for kids who qualify for them. So they might be the ones who are stepping in when a student needs something that's more than what general education alone is able to provide. And so this is what I was talking about where, yes, the general education teacher does provide a lot of scaffolding, but many times kids need something that's above and beyond. And so the special ed teacher can play a really important role in making sure that those accommodations are put in place. What I have also seen when I was in the school systems, and this is unique to my situation, this is not the only way that it can look, 
But this is one way that it can work where I was doing a lot of work with the reading intervention as far as making sure that kids were getting phonological awareness and doing some training with teachers. And then also in my direct therapy, when I was working as a speech pathologist, I was doing a lot of work on vocabulary and syntax and working on some of those skills that kids need in order to have that functional language and that sentence structure that's going to support comprehension and writing, as well as some of the language skills focused on morphology and other semantic skills that are going to support comprehension and word decoding. So I was working a lot on that. There was a lot of work on executive functioning embedded into what I was doing, but sometimes students needed some more high-level executive functioning work, such as if you're thinking about writing, they might need to know how to organize an essay. And I would do some of that work, but the special ed teacher, the way that our setup was, she was just able to focus on this a lot more than I was. And the special ed teacher did a study hall at the end of the day with kids. So she could kind of get them organized with homework assignments and things like that. And then she also went into the classroom more often. So what would happen is that a lot of times we would meet and figure out who was doing what. And I knew that she had the information that she needed in order to implement some of those strategies in the classroom. So she was the one that was actually doing the work with the kids, priming them for the classroom, and then going into the classroom and making sure that those accommodations were being made. That's how it worked in my particular situation, but there could be other situations where the speech pathologist is providing some of those services. There could be other situations where a social worker is doing it or a psychologist is doing it. This isn't necessarily the only way to do it, but that's the way that it can work a lot because the special ed teachers are the ones that are providing those direct interventions. And so if the special ed teacher needs some additional information about how to provide those supports and how to do some additional executive functioning strategies, sometimes school service personnel who maybe have more of that area of expertise, like social workers, SLPs, and psychologists. Um, I'm giving those examples a lot, but those are the people that I worked with a lot who did have that area of expertise. Sometimes those people can be the ones that are training the special ed teachers and the general education teachers if they do need that additional information. So again, like I said, it's very dependent on your situation. In my situation, I knew that the work was being done, so I didn't necessarily do a lot of that work in my therapy because I had so many other things that I needed to do from a literacy standpoint, and I knew that the executive functioning work was being done elsewhere. And so my role was more of a consult basis where I was working with a special ed teacher and we were making sure that we were covering our bases. Now, if you do have a special ed teacher who is in more of an instructional self-contained setting, a lot of times they are doing all of the instruction for their kids. So they're probably doing something similar where they are working on some of these functional skills. Now, it, it kind of depends if they're in more of a life skills curriculum. They might also be working on executive functioning for functional things like, you know, getting dressed and making meals and, you know, tying your shoes and all of those other things that require steps. So they could be working on executive functioning within those types of tasks. And then sometimes other school service personnel might be involved in that as well. So, Again, as I said, the special ed teacher plays a huge role in this, but if they do need the additional information about how to support this, that's where school service personnel can come in and provide some training, support, and consultation. So let's move on to that category, which is school service personnel. 
So school service personnel, and again, they're called this if you're working in the school system, but if you're in a medical setting, they're just called therapists. So this would be licensed professionals like speech pathologists, social workers, psychologists, counselors, occupational and physical therapists. Um, you could include music therapists in this area as well. This is definitely not an exhaustive list, so I apologize if I didn't list your title, but anyone who is a therapist who's providing that supplemental support could be in the school service personnel or therapist category. So obviously, I talk a lot about the speech pathologist and how you can provide support from that angle. You know, as I've said before, I do a lot of work with language and literacy, and so the way that I embed executive functioning into that kind of work is that when I am teaching kids word learning strategies, I'm teaching them how to self-talk and self-question so that when they come to an unfamiliar word, they know what to do. So giving kids a strategy and helping them think and plan and engage in goal-directed behavior, regardless of what it is, even if it's a very specific academic task, all of that is utilizing your executive functioning skills. So that is how I embed it into the work that is focused on language-specific things that support reading and writing. And because I was a school SLP, that was something that I was focused heavily on. Something that school service personnel like SLPs, social workers, psychologists, and counselors often focus on was traditionally thought of as social skills, but really what this is, is just applying executive functions to social situations. You need to know how to read a situation and engage in that problem solving and, and essentially read the room and also be able to evaluate the impact of your behavior on other people. All of those things, that self-reflection, that evaluation, that awareness of what's going on around you, and that planning and organization is all part of executive functioning. And so when we're talking about social skills training or practice or whatever whatever category it's put in, that's really what, what we should be doing is giving kids strategies for knowing how to navigate those situations. So many times the school service personnel are the ones that are providing those interventions that do that. Unfortunately, a lot of times people do these really structured social skills groups that aren't very effective. What needs to happen is that kids need to actually be able to be in some less structured situations and they need to then have, when they're actually doing the therapy, they need to kind of reflect and be given some strategies that they can use in order to read the room and apply those skills more effectively. But if all they're getting is this social skills group that's kind of rigid and structured and guided by an adult, they're not going to get the opportunity to practice those skills. So where school service personnel can come in is to work on these skills and then also be able to conduct some of those situations and those settings where they are giving kids strategies, but also we've got to be flexible in the way that we provide those services. Many times the way that you're providing services, if you are in this category, is that you are providing training for the other people who are working with kids in those less structured situations or in those settings that are outside your therapy room, whether it be the classroom, whether it be you know, giving some information to the teaching assistants who are with kids all day long at recess, or whether it be providing information for parents. I know if you're in a school setting, that can be really hard to provide parent training. 
I know that when I was in the school system, I always tried to make as many resources as possible for my parents. But if you are in a medical or private practice setting, you often do have more access to parents. And so parent training and coaching should definitely be part of what you do. So that is another role that you can play if you are in a therapy situation and you are supporting kids. Now, General education teachers, special education teachers definitely provide parent support as well, but it does get a lot harder for them. If you are a therapist who has more direct access to parents, you are in a situation where you can actually have more, more of an opportunity to provide that support than maybe a teacher might who has, you know, a huge classroom and doesn't always have a lot of time to be able to talk to all of their parents. And believe me, I've worked with plenty of teachers who go above and beyond in this arena, but it's not realistic for us to expect them to be able to do this without support, which is why it's so important for us to have these school service personnel and these therapists that are providing this additional training for parents and and the support really just for everybody. So the main thing is that you want to think of yourself as someone who isn't just somebody who pulls the kids out and works on whatever skill. We want to make sure that we figure out how to give everybody the information they need in order to be able to support kids. Moving on, let's talk about teaching assistants and other support staff. I cannot emphasize enough how important paraprofessionals are to supporting kids in the school setting. We literally would not function without them. That being said, we need to make sure that they have access to the right training and support in order for them to be able to do their jobs well. And teaching assistants, because they are the ones that are often working with kids while teachers are giving their lessons and they're the ones that sometimes are floating around providing that support, they can be a huge asset when working with executive functioning. They can provide support with any of the responsibilities that I've mentioned above when they're given the right training to do it. So really any other person who is in a licensed position, a teacher, a therapist can train a teaching assistant to provide that support. The thing is, is that they are the ones that often are in a position to be able to provide the cues and scaffolding when students need it. The caveat here is that it's really, really important to train teaching assistants in supporting executive functioning in a way that supports independence and not prompt and not prompt dependence. We want to make sure that teaching assistants aren't essentially acting as kids' executive functioning and doing some of the work for them that kids should be doing on their own. With executive functioning, a lot of times there's some learned helplessness and, you know, teaching assistants, they want to be helpful and they don't want to see kids uncomfortable. They have to know how to work through those things so that they are so that they are enabling kids to actually use their executive functioning instead of just, you know, doing certain things for them that they're capable of doing themselves or that they need to learn how to do on their own. So that's something that's really important. They just, they can help with 
any of the things that I've mentioned, but we need to make sure that they have the right information and training in order to do so. I know that when I was working in the school system, I had several students. Um, I, I had an autistic student who had a one-on-one aide, and I talked to her all the time. We were always talking about strategies that we could use to support him, and it was it was a great experience working with her and some of the other support staff. And And as I said, I sometimes felt like I talked to the support staff more than anybody else because they were the ones that were in there supporting my students and they were the ones that I really felt like I needed to collaborate with the most in certain instances. Next, let's talk about parents. So I have a lot of resources for therapists and also I think some of my tools are helpful for teachers as well, but I do get a lot of questions for parents in addition to that. And I think that the parent's role is very different from the role of the people who are supporting kids in school. So in some cases, not always, but in some cases, students might function better in a structured school environment than at home because there's more scaffolding at school just naturally. And so if there are executive functioning issues, sometimes kids who don't have enough scaffolding tend to have difficulties. But having said that, It's the parent's job to make sure that kids have the necessary scaffolding and support needed to do things like homework and also to make sure that they develop other real-world adulting skills that are going to help them be independent. And a lot of times, parents have access to kids during different experiences that teachers don't. And so they are the ones that have to be responsible for you know, helping kids do things like chores and a lot of the independent tasks that they have to do. Yes, there are some teachers who might work in a life skill setting that work on this as well. But in most cases, for many kids, the teachers and the school staff are focused on academic skills and the parents are the ones that have to support kids in those independent skills. So what they can do is make sure that they have enough structure in their home environment, that kids are able to complete homework and do the jobs around the house that they need to do in a way that allows them to actually build executive functioning during functional tasks. Because a lot of the chores that they have to do, like making meals, cleaning up a room, require executive functioning. And the school staff don't necessarily have access to kids in that particular setting to be able to support them through that. So really, this is why if you are working with parents and you are in a situation where you have access to parents, your job as a clinician or as a professional, whatever your role is, is to make sure that parents have access to support and coaching so that they know how to do that. Now, I know depending on your scenario, depending on if you're working in a school setting versus a private practice, you may have a different level of access to the parents, but it's always best to provide as much support as possible for the parents so that they know how to provide that scaffolding in the home environment. Now, I wanted to talk about two more roles. One would be the leadership role. And so I wanted to say that really anybody on the child's team can really step up and be the leader when it comes to making sure that executive functioning skills are addressed across settings. But it's really important to note that a lot of people in those clinical roles or in those teaching roles are in most cases not the ones that are making financial decisions. So 
people who are making those decisions, like the building leadership. So administrators, superintendents, school board members do need to have some awareness here and make sure that staff have access to the training and resources that they need. I know that that's very high level and people in those positions have a lot on their plate. And that's why it's really important for the people in the clinical roles to have this information as well so that they can advocate. So I wanted to just say that before I moved on to the very last category, which of course, last but not least, we have to actually talk about the child's role in this process. So in order for kids to learn to be responsible humans, they need to have a shared role in this process. And since kids' brains are still developing, providing scaffolding and setting boundaries is the responsibility of the adults supporting them. This does not mean that kids' preferences are ignored, but it means that there are times when we do need to ask kids to do things they don't want to do because it's in their best interest. It's a student's responsibility to use strategies and make choices about their behavior and what they do and do that as much as they can based on their current ability to self-regulate. And of course, the specific responsibilities that they have for each situation may vary depending on their age and their skills, but it can include things like organizing their work, completing assignments, doing chores, basic hygiene, and things like self-advocacy. And of course, the role of everybody else is to give them the modeling and support they need to be able to make that happen. So I think that we've covered a lot of the roles. I hope this was helpful. And again, remember that this is a starting point. You always want to consider service delivery first. Think about the big picture. Think about what the student needs and how you would go about making sure that they get it. Your role in this process is going to depend on your relationship to the child, your specific discipline and your area of expertise, as well as what everybody else is doing and what supports are available to the child and really what needs to happen. So it's all very context specific. But I really want to reiterate before I wrap up that you can be the lead. If you are a professional on a child's IEP team and this is not being addressed, you can take the lead and make sure that this gets addressed. You don't necessarily have to be the person providing the direct services. What you can do is provide access to resources, training and support, and educate yourself to make sure that the child is getting access to the support that they need across settings to be successful. Before I wrap up, I wanted to mention that inside the School of Clinical Leadership, there is an entire suite of courses dedicated to executive functioning. So this suite of courses is going to show you strategies that can be implemented in the classroom, the home environment, as well as tools that can be used in a direct therapy setting so that kids really get great support across the board in building these skills. I really believe this is an area where Everybody needs to have a solid understanding of how to work on these skills, even though their role in the process may vary from one situation to another. Everybody needs to understand how we would work on these skills so that they can embed it into the specific clinical area where they're working, as well as so they can provide consulting services, coaching, and training for other people who might need it. 
Now, the School of Clinical Leadership is designed to help you be a better leader so that you can launch the next stage of your career, so that you can really figure out how you can show up and serve in a way that helps you to plan a career that allows you to serve in a way that feels autonomous and that allows you to make the impact that you want to make. So what does executive functioning have to do with that? Well, if you want to launch that next stage of your career, you have to know how to be a good leader. And one of the ways that we can provide clinical leadership is to understand this really essential area that really affects all the other areas. So that's why there is an entire product suite dedicated to this area, but just know that there is so much more that's included in the program, including tools that will help you be more productive so that you can win back time that you can dedicate to focus on meaningful work, whether it means working on some kind of a side project that leads you towards a new position, a new career, a new credential, some additional services that you might offer on the side, something that's going to move you forward in your career. The School of Clinical Leadership is designed to help you make that happen. To learn more about what's included in the program, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash leadership. And then finally, for my listeners who are specializing in the area of language and literacy, if you want some specific tactical strategies that will allow you to build the language skills that will support reading and writing, as well as executive functioning, definitely check out my Language Therapy Advanced Foundations course. This is a great complement to the School of Clinical Leadership. They are designed to go together. The School of Clinical Leadership helps you to move your career forward. And Language Therapy Advanced Foundations gives you specific tools and strategies that you can use to support language in your therapy. So to learn more about Language Therapy Advanced Foundations, just go to drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. As always, feel free to share this with anyone who you think would benefit from this information. And thank you so much for listening. I will see you in the next episode. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE 
to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.